Daleks do not store stuff. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. And I'm Jace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hoover Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm still Colin. I'm Jace. Wait a minute. Have we done Didn't this we before? Just that already? <laughs> I think so. It might be a little time loopy, just like this episode. I agree. All right. I, I, I love the time loop of this, and I know we're going to launch to that, but at first I've got a little Shelby rant to go on because... Oh, oh capitalizing with a Shelby rant. Oh, man. I, I'm just, I, I was just so irritated at the beginning of this episode and then repeatedly throughout it that the doctor landed, the TARDIS got cracks all the way through it and threw them out of it and rang the cloister bell, and the doctor was just like, oh, whatever, let's go like check out what's going on in this storage unit. Like... When the TARDIS blew up, it destroyed the entire universe. Like, what the hell? Like, why was that... Like, why even have that in there if you're not going to have the... Like, Doctor freak out about it. I mean, that can't just, like, not be the most important thing when it happens. (sighs) Well, I'm guessing that the TARDIS was already compromised because of the flux. And so the Doctor had to reset the TARDIS in order to to put the TARDIS back the way it should have been. Right. Although the TARDIS, and the TARDIS was also under strain because it was also creating the time loop that was within this building at the same time that it was trying to reset itself. Well, so I'm guessing. Yeah. So like, I mean, but like, it just seems like that should be the number one priority because it has consistently been the number one priority every time something bad happens to the TARDIS. Yeah, I suppose. I just, I, I mean, I, I guess they didn't really explain it very well. Or why the TARDIS was doing what it was doing. No, it definitely looked alarming, though. I mean, I would be alarmed. Yeah, and it just, like, for the Doctor to just kind of, like, brush it off just seemed really weird. I can see that. But, I mean, I I think that was such a small part of the story. Right, yes. Let's move on to the rest of it. It didn't really, really, like, hurt the storyline itself, which basically was a love story... It, during Groundhog Day styled um, uh, time loops. Yeah, but I, I think somehow like it avoided a lot of the tropes of time loops. Like I felt like it was pretty well paced and pretty well structured. And I think the the big difference here, like from Groundhog's Day, is that here everybody has their memory when they get reset too. It, it makes it a little bit different. And then you know it's it's counting down as well. So eventually you get this new. Uh, new twist and and you know um that you know no one can die that first minute or else they're gone um for good now just based on how the time's speeding up yeah that and that, that was kind of scary or, or at least spooky when when she kind of revealed that 
Yeah, yeah. and that that and was cool. That I like that. It made a lot of sense. When she was the one that came up with it too. It was a hu- mere humans. I guess her Sarah was their name, and uh, I thought that was quite compelling. Yeah, we, we had we two have... really interesting characters that that were introduced in the story. Yeah, I liked Nick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah were... it's kind of hard not to like Nick. I mean, he was a little yes. bit weird or creepy. Well, yeah, I didn't even but think so. He just seemed shy. All, he was doing it all for Sarah. He was only storing stuff there, so she had re- she had some sort of revenue, and her business stayed open. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, I loved those those characters. I thought they they developed those characters well, um, and I think the acting was phenomenal. Um, on both of their parts. They feel like real people that I know um, in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it, it's it's kind of weird, too, with their relationship and how, you know, it is a love story and it, it pulls it off, I think, well um, in a lot of ways. But also, you come back and it, it sounds like Sarah's, like, complaining, like, this guy's a constant problem. And then you learn, like, you see him, like, once a year come yeah. through. Like for the past few years, and he's like one of your most important clients and customers, and she's like brushes him off. Yeah. I mean, like that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like their relationship doesn't make sense when you learn that, you know. I think like that Monopoly box was labeled like January 21st, so it was well over a year ago. It's like it's so weird that Sarah would be like annoyed with him. It's like, I can't believe you'd make me be here. It's not like he's scheduling his time, I imagine. Yeah, it, I mean, there were some oddities with that, and I guess her motivation in order, I, I guess where it came into for her motivation to like him in the first place was that he was willing to sacrifice himself for her. I think that spoke volumes to her. It was kind of hard for her to ignore that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it really is mere minutes from, like, this creepy weirdo to, what a good-hearted soul. Well, but he was, because oh, he, he literally was. cared. He, he, it was quite clear that he cared about her. Yeah, he did it in a weird way, but but ultimately he he was willing to sacrifice himself so that she could live. And I think that's when she, the light bulb went off in her head. Okay, he's definitely not that bad. Yeah, but it, it just like transitioned into love very quickly. Like they were they were able to do it well. It's just like the way that they parsed in the scenes and kind of like the wording. But it happened very quickly, and it didn't seem to be very organic you know it seemed like a a very quick flip flip the switch but also you have to remember that this is their very first meeting uh in that realm so they even when they were at the end when they're going on their date around the world they're still not kissing or hugging or holding each other it's more just like okay this is our first date let's go see what we can find out it's it I mean, you can love someone because they're willing to sacrifice themselves for you, but it doesn't mean that you're in love with them that says, oh, um, I, I, I want to, I mean, I want to kiss you right now kind of thing. And that was one thing that I liked about this episode was that they, they kind of stayed away from the physical side of love and kept it more towards the, the mental side of love. You're right. And I appreciate that. But just as, as a quick counterpoint, I'd say like, I, I feel like the, the, the mental, you know, part of that love and that reciprocation I felt was too fast. You know, it really was creepy weirdo, um, you know, taking up all my time over to, okay, you know what? I will sacrifice my life for yours. 
Yeah. I'm willing to do that. I, I just felt like that was, um, it was a little quick and unnatural, but I think the actors really pulled it off. I thought the chemistry between them was really strong and they were just, they seemed like totally real people. Like they were plucked from parts of my life. And I think that she was never really disgusted with him so much as like, just that's how she interacts with the world in a very abrasive way, I think was more. Honestly, I found her character to be insufferable. I thought yeah. it was very well played, but oh my goodness. Like she was, she was complaining about how she inherited this whole building and business. Yeah. You know, like, uh, her mom was always, like, a problem. You know, it really wasn't from her perspective. She could have just not answered the phone. Well, yeah, she was just like, oh, mom, you're such a bother because, the like, she talks to her in August and then not again until January. Yeah, like, clearly she's investing in this, you know, Jeff guy that we never really see. That's Yeah, was that supposed to be Jeff at the end looking at the fireworks? Um, I don't know. I didn't see any of that. Like, I think I don't think so because in the credits I think he's ne- he, I think it's Carl that that's uh, listed as that that person at the end. Okay. So I don't know. I I guess one of the things that I can see why she'd be a little frustrated or flustered with her mother is that she's not necessarily upset with her mother. She's more upset that she, for the third time in a row, this guy has not come to work even though she doesn't know why, but he hasn't come to work when, when he was, when he promised her he would, and she ends up having to skip out on her new year's, which I can understand why anybody would be a little upset about that and then carry that over to any conversation they have right after. Yeah, it's fair. (laughs) Um, It's it's a reason. I think it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable to assume that, that people would be upset for missing out on new year's for a third year in a row. Yeah, but just like just how mean she seemed to be to Nick, you know, coming into the beginning, and also seemed like she felt so downtrodden, you know. But at the same time, we're hearing her cell phone ring off again and again, like you know she's Miss Popular. I don't know. (laughs) She just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit as a as a person, but as an actor, great story and great you know dynamic character through this episode. I think just good character development, you know, largely all around. We have James, what did, you, James now, what did you think about Sarah and Nick? Um, I definitely thought Nick was a bit strange. The average person does not keep the belongings of their ex in a storage unit organized by name and date. Um, and as far as what was yeah. named Sarah, she was definitely an acquired taste of the sour variety. Really. I just, I really didn't like her at first. The fact that when she was in the elevator and she told her mom that she loved her and the mom was like, are you drunk? Are you okay? Like, are you ill? Kind of was really like, you know, key to who she is and what people think about her. Like a daughter saying, I love you to her mother, her mother reacting the way that she did. She's not the best person in the world. I feel like the character development was monumental and necessary because it just showed how you know, working together, which is what the doctor has been trying to hound in on, that idea the entire episode can really get accomplished. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a big theme, like working together. And But I think also on top of that, too, it's, it's learning. 
you know, the, it was working together and learning for the Daleks and for, you know, the human slash Time Lord, you know, team. Well, I thought that there were two really great uh, humans versus Daleks moments in this episode of where Dan is, like, running in a circle around the Dalek, avoiding its gun, and then when Nick, like, ducks and makes the two Daleks shoot each other. I mean, those were both some uh, pretty awesome moves, and, like kind of poke a little fun at the design of the Daleks whilst, you know, not belittling it. Yeah, but um, yeah. it's interesting to like, yeah, point yeah, out a yeah. lot of the times that we do see, like, it, it is does seem possible that with a, a good somersault you can avoid the Daleks <laughs> or, you know, just ducking um, or, you know, grabbing one of their antennae, you know, in a lot of ways. There are things you can do. Yeah. I, I think, again... To my point earlier um, in our podcasts, Chris Chibnall does a really good job when it comes to classic villains. And he's proven that pretty much on all of the New Year's Eve specials. But I would have to say that this this particular one, the Daleks and the humans and the Doctor, of course, they're all learning at the same time. And you can see that kind of give and take from when the Daleks get one up on the on the doctor and then when the doctor gets one up on the Daleks etc and it just keeps going back and forth kind of thing that that is kind of an ingenious plot line in my opinion because I think it shows okay yeah the Daleks are still very scary and it kind of goes back to the Christopher Eccleston Dalek story where the Daleks always learn they're always learning so they are going to know what to do they're going to adapt their their um, their bodies, their their weaponry, they're going to adapt everything and their shields for whatever is coming their way, uh, and that's quite apparent in this particular episode. And I think that's one of the qualities the Daleks actually are extremely strong on is their adaptability. Okay, now, if they could okay. just shoot straight. But but hang on, maybe you guys can clarify this for me. Like so. The whole thing with the Daleks was they they were pissed at the Doctor for committing genocide against them, which I'm really glad that they addressed. And um, so they decided to set up an execution against the Doctor, and the pl- like place and time they picked was uh, a location of a time disturbance, but then the time disturbance was caused by the TARDIS trying to rescue the Doctor? Is that right? I don't think the Daleks knew that there was going to be a time disturbance because the TARDIS arrived after the Daleks did. So think, why think, did why like why were the Daleks there anticipating the Doctor? The Doctor wasn't trying to go to that place or anything. So like they weren't luring her in any way. Like well, I guess on the first loop they learned that she's there. So the second loop they are then that's when they are then able to go after her. So what were they doing there? Like, was that ever... Like, because I, th- I thought he said that he was there because he was performing a targeted execution of the Doctor, but, like, then... I I, I don't know. It didn't seem to, like, like... Like, what was it doing before with, like, killing the other two before the Doctor showed up? Or, or Like, what was the Dalek doing there? <laughs> I'm guessing the Daleks know that they have the ability to time travel themselves, so it's possible that they knew that the Doctor was going to show up at this location, but they didn't know that there was going to be a time loop, if that makes any sense. 
if there was any sort of, I don't know. I mean, that's just the only logical explanation I could come up with. But you do raise a very good point is how would the Daleks, if there's this time loop and the Daleks learn from the time loop that the doctor's there, how in the world would the Daleks necessarily know she is there to begin with? That's yeah, maybe maybe the Daleks got into the time loop a little bit sooner, and maybe there was some times before where they just glimpsed the TARDIS materializing or something like that. I mean, who knows? I, I think we could think of you know a lot of potential wild theories, but I I was thinking that they kind of had some claim over you know bringing the TARDIS into the time loop. I mean. Just, just like we never seem to actually see these vacation episodes, uh, you know, with the Doctor. They did not go on their, you know, celebration extravaganza. Um, you know, they were rerouted a little bit to the storage unit with a potential intergalactic problem. Again, is that the TARDIS actually taking the Doctor where she needs to be as opposed to where she wants to be? I was going to make that point. Like the, like, the Doctor has admitted to not really having that much control of the TARDIS, but the TARDIS always coming through whenever, like, she needed to be somewhere. I mean, it, it seems a little bit more like the TARDIS was trying to put a hit on the Doctor if they were bringing the Doctor into that situation. I mean, yeah. those innocent people weren't the targets. It was the Doctor. Yeah. And like for fulfilling a, a Dalek wish, I don't know that the Doctor needed to be there. Right, because, like, the no one would have been in danger if the Doctor hadn't gone, so... The doctor, yeah, doesn't need to be there. And then, like, also, the TARDIS put everyone in a time loop in order to rescue the doctor. So you're, you're right. Yeah, the TARDIS is supposed to be bringing the doctor where she needs to be, and it definitely brought her into like, you know, mortal danger. That then they had to like bend the laws of time in order to try to, you know, get out of. Yeah, like, that was my initial thing. When I first saw that all this was going on, the second the doctor stepped out of that target, TARDIS and they were not where they were supposed to be, I was like, well, yep, that was the TARDIS taking control and doing what the TARDIS does best, not go according to plan and going off-grid. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it seems like it was a hijacking moment. I, I don't know, because, I mean, the TARDIS motivation to bring the doctor there doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And it seems, you know, the, the TARDIS isn't always disrupted like that either. Yeah, and, and when it yeah, when it is, it seems to be like, you know, something. Yeah, it seems like time was already disrupted. The TARDIS has a lot to do with time. They were targeting the Doctor. The Doctor got brought in unexpectedly to a time loop, and the Daleks seemed to already have some plans before the Doctor. So, I don't know. I, I felt like... They were somehow integral to it, but... But it did... Yeah, it didn't... It wasn't really explained. Like, I mean, I loved the time loop itself. I thought it was done really well, and I thought the shortening of it gave it a really interesting edge. But, like... Yeah, it doesn't... Like, the plot doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, I'm not sure if it follows, like, you get out of the building, then... And it'll live past midnight, then time will never reset because it's only. Oh, that that part actually made sense to me, um, because then like so if you you figure like it kept you know like they would get to, to midnight and reset or they'd move like an hour so like when they catch up and they have no time in the middle of the time loop anymore, then you'd think it would just fold over to the other direction. Mm. And you would move forward in time. It doesn't seem like that would have to be the case. No. At all. 
I mean, it totally could also just as easily be like you hit zero or and like you're all, all dead. time is gone. Like, it kind yeah. of seems like that, you know? Yeah, I don't time know. Time is over. Like, it seems like win or lose in that scenario. Everybody loses. But... But, I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they explained it like, in a certain way that they're just like, okay, we all agree this is what would happen, so... Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like just breaking out of the Matrix. That's kind of how I saw it. I didn't put too much deep into thought. I, I, I like that. Like with these kind of episodes, I try not to overthink it too much because then it makes it absolutely suck. If I just take everything at absolute face value, I find it a lot more enjoyable. Well, but, but that's the thing is that Doctor Who's always been, well, usually has been very good about, you know, you being able to dive deeper into it and it having more substance and it not ruining it when you think about it. And that's what sucks so much about the past few years that, like... You're right. You hit the nail on the head. It's like it's only good at face value. If you think about it at all, it starts to fall apart. Yeah, but I mean, you don't need to. I we I just dig dig this deep, and I think we all do because you know we talk about it for a good you know forty five minutes or so right afterward. And there there are things that you think of in in the whole episode is like okay that that doesn't exactly work out, and it's and it's worth talking about, but. I don't think that always devalues the story in a major way. Okay, but but the thing with this episode that's a problem with it is the fact that the plot doesn't make any sense. I mean, that, that that's pretty massive, I feel like. I, no, I, I think actually the plot makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, the potential end goal or how everybody agrees, like, what the scenarios are or will fold out, you know, doesn't really make sense. Well, like, but the, I, I the, the why, did, why did any of this occur doesn't make sense. I, to me, the Daleks wanted to kill the Doctor. I think it was very clear. But the Daleks weren't... We don't know how the Daleks did it, but the Daleks are always learning. They're always finding new approaches. They have dealt with time travel and time, you know, distortion before, and here they are again. Yeah, I, I guess. Mean, it sounds stupid, but I did want to make a note that the Daleks are always just mad and wanting to destroy everything. But I think this is like the first episode in which I actually like. It feels like it feel it feels like the Dalek was angry, like genuinely mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had a little bit more emphasis on his. Strength. Yeah, he little he had a little bit more base into his voice, and I guess it's more so. I mean, it could be be all in my head, but like I, I felt more that base in like one specific scene um, in which the Dalek was exterminating the Doctor. Um, but it could also be because this is like the second mass genocide the Doctor has implicated or initiated upon this race. No, I, I think you're right. I think I, I did. You know, now that you say it, of course, too. It's, it does seem like there's more emotional power, you know, behind the anger, although. I think I was easy to kind of like write it off too because the emotion that I'm most comfortable with on the Daleks is anger. So wait, so was it just one Dalek and we saw like time travel duplicates of it or was like, were there multiple Daleks? There were multiple Daleks. They sounded okay. different from each other. I remember one Dalek sounded like it had a really deep voice. Oh, there were definitely three different Daleks. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if it had just been duplicated across the loops, but thanks. No, yeah, they they had sent other Daleks. That would have been cool, but it would have just not made sense. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if this is the case, but I had the sense that, you know, some Daleks were entering in in other time loops. I mean, I know we definitely learned about them then. Yeah, Possibly. I think so. 
Daleks typically are like the slow-moving kind of death is coming at you slowly. Like a kind of slasher. Yeah, I like think the doctor did like say something like, uh, the "Oh, wave is coming." They, no, like they, they they look they broke into the time loop. That makes sense. Uh, can I go back to the one of the things that didn't make sense in this story, and that is when the Dalek is destroying the quote-unquote old door. It was kind of, it was the most flimsy door you could actually have. I was surprised that it took that much time just for the Dalek to get through it. Yeah. It yeah like and it could have taken maybe like a few seconds. I know that it was part of the, it, they needed a little bit of time for the doctor and gang to, to talk and all, but. Yeah, because that was like tinfoil to them. Yeah, I, I mean, the Daleks like, told them, told us themselves, they are patient, okay? They weren't in a rush. They're taking their time, man. So, like, <laughs> they got all the time in the world. They, they were building up the fear in the people that they do like to do that. There you go. And, and that's the same thing you're saying. It's the slow march forward, you know? The, the Daleks are just slow marching. Yeah, they could go in there and exterminate everyone, but, yeah, they, they wanna, they're patient. They'll take their time. They have no They're, they're relentless. Yeah. It's, in, you, it's I, inevitable. I think I should point out, and this in this story that Jodie Whittaker finally gets a true doctorish moment. Yeah. When, she, when she's actually building up all the humans saying, what are we going to do? Are we going to just kind of let everything happen and die? Or are we, are we going to actually learn from this and make things happen? And that, in, a, in my opinion, is one of Jodie's best speeches and best scenes because she actually kind of brought back the Christopher X and David Tennant ideal of uh, every human's important kind of thing and at the same time that she's getting everybody to listen to her. And I think most people would have listened to her at that point. All right, let's talk about Yaz. I, I, I felt like that scene with her and Dan was awesome and I really appreciated how Dan just like straight up addressed it like the fact that she's got a crush on the doctor like with her and then with the doctor and it's just like we're not gonna like screw around we're just gonna like move forward with this none of this i don't know Yaz like just coming out to dan after four years and then dan even if like his flimsy excuses like the doctor definitely already knows he just goes and outs Yaz, you know another like that seemed like a huge betrayal of trust to me yeah i guess that's true possibly but i think Dan's just trying to say, tell the truth and just say, hey, look, this is what's going on. You got to be careful how you treat her. I don't think that's in his place, though, because keep in mind, yes, she's always been a very tough woman. Like, she has taken on the role of the doctor many times. Have been, it's been more of the doctor than the doctor has been a lot of the times. Like, you know, she hasn't even come to terms with the fact that she liked, you know, the doctor until Dan pointed it out. And then I think that was a great moment. Like, Dan, you could tell he was intuitive. He went off and got himself killed without thinking twice about it when you really didn't need to just to help out. He has proven himself significantly, and I feel like this moment like, proved that there's actually a really deep emotional intelligence behind this companion, and I'm kind of curious to see how where that goes. But to y'all's point, when Dan was like, oh, you know she likes you, right? That's just kind of like that's not really what you do in that situation. I would have kind of liked Jazz kind of coming to terms with it and told the doctor in her own kind of way. 
Because knowing, yeah, she would have not wanted him to say something that deep and emotional and vulnerable. I think vulnerable is the right word to use. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think in like pretty much both of these instances we have, you know, just, um, you know, the conversation also, like at the time that it's happening, kind of leads to their death in the time. Of course, they get more deaths, you know, they get nine lives or eight lives. I don't know. Was it nine lives? I don't know. Whatever. I think they died. Some of them died eight times. So I guess they have nine lives like cats. Sure. Okay. I like that. Then. I don't know. I mean, I I understand your points, but I I also wonder if he was just looking out for Yaz's feelings because he knows how harsh or how cold the doctor can be sometimes. And so he may have just been like, hey, you know what? Someone actually likes you and you just got to be careful. It's more like a warning to the doctor to say, watch how you approach this. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I took it too. On like, a don't be so insensitive. Yeah, I, I thought he was looking out for Yaz. I don't think he would because if he may have known the doctor knew. I her. could have. I well, the thing is, you could have done it without completely outing her. That's true. Like been like you know she really cares about you. Dot dot dot. Instead of being like you know she has a giant cross on you and wants to marry well, you and. Did you be kissy? No, nope, no, but he did kind of do that because he just said, you know, she likes you and you know what that yeah. means. Yeah, that's what I was making a joke of. Like you could have said it like oh, in yeah. a way that wasn't so obvious and not kind of outed her entirely being like, oh, she has a genuine affection towards you. He could have just been like, she she cares about you and, you know, cares about your well-being and is there to support you and stuff. Not, oh, yeah, crushy face. And even Yaz admits she's not quite sure. She hasn't admitted it to herself, so she's not even sure. She's probably not even sure what's how to approach it, how to say it. She's this is all new to her. Yeah. Remember, like when they were uh, when she was back in time, you know, for all those all that time, and she uh, kept looking at that image of the doctor, like giving her that message uh-huh. in flux. Totally was getting, you know, the in love vibes. Oh yeah, vibe. for sure. I mean that was coming out very strongly this season. Yeah, it was it was definitely bubbling up, but it, you know, true confirmation here, um, you know, that we got from Yaz. Um but I feel like it weakens the doctor a little bit. I mean it definitely ups ups Dan, but it really like puts out in like the doctor, you know, again can't approach this situation straight. And I I don't know. Well, that's pretty more, consistent. I, mean, I guess for the you're doctor. right. That is that is fairly consistent for the doctor. Well, and the doctor's also had the wrong. same problem. Out, uh, this, the doctor's always had the same problem. The doctor's going to outlive every companion. So falling in love with your companion is actually a bad thing for the doctor because then the doctor has to see them grow old, die, and then move on. And the doctor keeps going. And so that's one of the... Isn't that true with any friendship, any valuable companion that you have? I mean, either way, if you're getting a close relationship over your time, you're setting yourself up for failure. If anything, I think that's the argument to say that, you know, the doctor should always be alone. But should the doctor always be alone? Because the doctor always ends up doing things he or she doesn't want to do when they're alone. Yeah, I think the doctor wrestles with that a lot. Him and herself. Yeah. They, the doctors throughout the years have always uh, had a problem with that, especially when a death of a companion or or a memory loss of a companion takes place. The doctor, it, it's like the doctor realizes how serious things can become. 
All right. Um, does anybody have anything else they want to say about this episode? No. It was a fun romp. It was. It definitely felt like a a New Year's Eve episode. But but I I don't know. I I kind of like a lot of the aspects. There's definitely some throwbacks. There was. Uh, Sarah ends up saying, oh, my giddy aunt, which is quite obviously a quote from the second Doctor. <laughs> I, I kind of like that little nod to the past. Were there any other references to the past? I could have sworn there was one. Probably tons. There were, there were probably always, you know, plenty of Easter eggs we, we, uh, we miss out on each week. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep up with them because both all of us have just seen this for the first time today. So that's probably why it's going to be more difficult for us to remember absolutely everything. Okay, well, it's not really a throwback, but one thing I did want to bring up is that I, I liked how the Dalek like disabled the Sonic like instantly, and it was just like, all right, no fancy tools. And then even the psychic paper was pretty much like, why even bother in it? So it was like. You know, it was more the doctor figuring it out with normal things around her as, as opposed to, you know, using the magic tools. <laughs> yeah, it, that's kind of helpful because I know that that's been a complaint of a lot of fans is that this doctor uses the Sonic more than any other. Oh, really? I've, I haven't really noticed that or, or minded, I guess. I, I mean, honestly, if I had a Sonic screwdriver when I was a doctor, I'd be using that all the time. I mean, how, how versatile. I mean, I, I'd probably be more of a Capaldi with it and have, you know, the AR version, you know, built in with glasses and all. Um, but, you know, why wouldn't you always be running that? I mean, Capaldi was always using his Sonic. Yeah, I know, feel like he used like, it constantly. Yeah, right? I mean, remember when he was blind and he used it nonstop? Exactly. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, the guy that was at the end that was named Carl... Apparently, he's the same Carl that was in The Woman Who Fell to Earth, the very first Jodie Whittaker story. Oh, what is that? What did, what, did, what kind of role did he have there? Did he look at the sky then, too? <laughs> I don't know, but it may just be kind of like a round robin kind of thing. This is well, good for Carl. Like, I'm, I'm proud of Carl. Oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, because I was wondering, I was like, who is that? Yeah, no, it's the same guy from the very first episode that I think was in this. He was in a warehouse, too, and when the Daleks came. Gotcha. No, no it wasn't it the Daleks. Was, it, was the, it was the guy with the teeth in his face, Tim Shaw. Yeah, Tim Shaw. Yeah, you're right. So. <laughs> All right, should we read this sucker? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Might as well. Well, should I, should I go into rate, or should we turn over a new leaf for the new year? Go for it, Colin. All right. All right. First Raider. So I think Michael summed this up with a, with a quote that I think I like to use myself from time to time. Fun romp. This was a good episode. Um, I like so much about this. I, I think Chibnall um, pulled this off. I, I, I wish he was a little bit more self-contained and self-edited more often. Um... But I think we had a really good, um, simple premise played out with a time loop, played out with continuous character development, 
um, played out with a back and forth, you know, with um, the Doctor versus Dalek and a great classic enemy. Um, and I really like how he stayed on the rails with this one in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean this is a perfect episode. That doesn't mean that he that he doesn't miss out on some weird, um, I guess, social mismatchings, I guess, with Nick and Sarah and their relationship, or at least the fundamentals of, of how you know they're trying to set it up. Um, but the guest actors are strong. Love them. Beautiful characters. Beautiful development, I think, of the characters. Good development of our other new doctors as well. And even the, Do- the Daleks got development themselves. They are learners. Um, but this was good. I, I, and we did get to um, hear a little bit more about Yaz's love for the Doctor that came out. That wasn't the thread that was really um, closed up. I'm excited to see what they do with that in future episodes. I hope they do tie that up with a nice bow one way or the other, you know, regardless of the outcome. Um, but despite the flaws that I was speaking of throughout this, this was gripping. I thought it was very, um, it was just very good. It was very uh, good at keeping attention. I did think while some of the, the goals and some of, you know, the, the whys were a little, um, little left undone, I think that it really was a, a fun plot. I think it had good structure. And, you know, there was good humor, too, that it brought in throughout the way as well. Um, For me, this is getting an 8.5 out of 10. Wow, that's quite a nice... Anyway, but the the music that um, our our good musician did, uh, Segun Akinola is his name, he actually created a very intense soundtrack for this piece and it was building i don't know if anybody else noticed it but the soundtrack or the the musical track pretty much was building throughout most of the episode and it was getting faster it was getting more intense as time went on they're running more and Um, faster as time went on exactly kind and as time got re-looped back because obviously it was basically a race against time type of episode it was also your typical claustrophobic episode where it's like uh, they're a little building under siege and it's very claustrophobic. Even though they had five levels to go to, it was very hard to get to them all. Um, but I was, I, was very, I was very impressed by the fact that Chibnall could actually go from beginning to end with this episode. And it made sense for the most part throughout the episode. And... Um, and it, it, the character development was pretty spot on throughout. It was consistent with everything that we had learned before about the 13th Doctor, about the Daleks, and about everything else. Um, the characters, there was a little bit of a rush with, with Sarah, I agree. But I can look past that because we only have an hour to explain that Sarah and, and Nick actually end up together traveling the world. Does that mean they're going to stick together forever? It doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that they are at least willing to go and go on another adventure with each other. After this adventure, they probably should have some fun on their adventure. Um, Because this is obviously... (laughs) This... um, I'm going to have to give this episode um, a solid 8 out of 10. I really liked it. It kind of goes along with the other Dalek episodes from the past. And I just appreciate it. 
All right. I got of an egg. Okay. Okay, I don't know. Um, so I thought this episode was cool. When I first um, saw it, I thought, wow, this is very, like, I'm not very well educated in movies, but it just reminded me of that movie Happy Death Day, where that girl just kept waking up and just to be killed and then just to wake up and it'd be her birthday again. I know Michael mentioned something about a groundhog. Like I said, no cinema very well, but it just gave me those vibes. And I'm just thinking, oh, this has been done before. And it's like overplayed and just didn't need to be done again. But it was different. It was different. It was genuinely a race against time. And Doctor Who is all about time. So I thought it was a very unique spin on what I now understand is a common, not common movie trope, but what sometimes What's well known. It, it exists. It's happened. It's been thought of before. Um, I thought the relationship between the two main people was interesting. Thought it was cool. We got a weirdo. And I like how they kind of related that weirdo to the doctor as a weirdo. Because it all kind of tied together at the end. Um, I don't have too much to say because I kind of like to keep my ratings kind of short. Y'all heard everything I had to say. Um... I mean, it was cool. You just don't have to think about it too much. I've learned to take a lot of, like, newer who at face value. I guess that's why I typically rate things decently high, which I know I shouldn't. But this has been, like, the new who for me, I guess. Um, And on that note, I'd probably give this one a 7.5. All right. I, uh, I really enjoyed, like, while I was watching this episode a lot, um, but yeah, the more I think about it, the more I'm, I keep seeing flaws. Like, Sarah, you know, I think that, I think she was an attempt at Donna. A very horribly failed attempt of someone who's abrasive yet endearing. Um, and I think that, that they missed the mark there, and I don't think it was the actress's fault. I think it was writing, but... Uh, I felt like, yeah, I liked that storyline. I liked the time loop. Um, I'm a fan of, of, of time loop episodes in, in Dr. Who and, um, and yeah, and I liked the speed up of it. I liked, you know, as Colin pointed out that, you know, the fact that everyone was there, you know, had the memory of the previous loop and everything like who was, you know, involved within it. And, uh, that really kind of changed things, especially because the Dalek did too. Um, I felt that it did fall flat a lot on, you know, the fact that the reason for what was happening didn't actually really make sense. Um, I liked the, you know, character development with Yaz and Dan. Um, and uh, overall, I think I will give this a 7 out of 10. Okay. Well, that's a wrap. We've got four ratings, even the Daleks. Tell us what you think in uh, a comment section on Facebook, if you'd like. Uh, Talk to you guys later. Bye. Happy New Year. Bye.